Let's get into the word today. I got a lot to do and a lot to share in the area of um, faith. We are, it's our last sermon in our series on faith promises and sovereignty. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move you forward. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we are going to really start with verse 4 today. We're talking about faith. We've already established the idea that although God is sovereign and, and He can do whatever He wants and He can allow whatever He wants, we heard that prophetically today in the word that Doran brought to us, He has tied His purposes though and He's tied His promises to our response. This is where we can't swing the pendulum the other way. God has tied what He wants to do to your response. You see that in the life of Jesus at Nazareth where he could do no mighty work because they lost their expectation and their anticipation of who he was because their lack of faith in who he was. They didn't get to experience who he was in the area of the miracle healings of his ministry. The book of Hebrews, and we're we're in Hebrews chapter 11 dealing with the famous faith chapter, is really a simple book with a simple theme. These were Jewish Christians, which you would know today as a Messianic Jew. They would not use those terms in those days. Basically, the church started with all Jews, and then from from Jerusalem, it began to spread out to the Roman Empire. So the earliest churches we know in church history were mostly made up of all Jewish people. And then it kind of rolled into us, the Gentiles, who like to eat shrimp and bacon. Okay, it moved out. But it started as a Jewish faith that moved out. And these were Jewish Christians. Some actually believe the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish priests who were part of the priests who believed and actually moved out of out of uh, Jerusalem into Syria, Antioch, uh, and uh, were under great persecution because some of the things that were addressed to them. But they were ready to throw away their faith because they were weary, like we can get weary, because of persecution and what was taking place in the first century. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, he says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And what the writer's doing in chapter 11 is giving examples of Old Testament patriarchs, ancient men and women, faithful men and women in, in biblical history in the Old Testament who lived lives of faith and were awarded for their faith in the Old Testament. We're going to start with Abel today because we already dealt with a few other principles, and I'm going to give you principles from the book of Hebrews. I don't know where this is going to land. I was preparing this morning and last night, and I, and I kept going, oh me and oh my. So I might just stop in the middle of the sermon, and we'll just end it, and I'll write a book. <laughs> Here we go. Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended. He was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In the book of Genesis, there are the story of two brothers, one by the name of Abel, one by the name of Cain, who brought their offerings, brought their offerings, their sacrifices, or their offerings to God, most likely at the gate of Eden. The one brother who is Abel brought, who brought from his flock, he brought fattened, fattened lambs who were, of, who were firstborn lambs and firstborn sheep. Uh, Cain, he brings portions of his harvest. And the Bible says that God accepted the sacrifice of Cain and rejected 
the excuse me, accepted the sacrifice of Abel and rejected the sacrifice of Cain. Now what's the principle here when it comes to faith? Faith moves us to sacrifice to God whom we have not seen. Now some teach that God did not accept Cain's sacrifice because he brought the labor of his, of his, of his farming. In other words, he came to God on his own merit. I don't think there's enough uh, exegetical evidence that that was the case because we don't know what instructions God gave them up to that time. Obviously the concept of offerings were there. There could have been some instructions on offerings, but it, they would say he didn't want to go to his brother Abel to get the sheep to offer the sheep. He brought his own labor. But in, in the book of Leviticus in chapter 2, there, there are grain offerings, there are, and they're supposed to be the type of grain offerings that they were to bring. The issue here is that when my faith is large, my offerings to God are large. And when my faith is small, I give God scraps. The Bible talks about Abel. He, he brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. There's a lavishness in the heart of Abel because of his faith. There's a, there's a, there's a stinginess. There's a reservation in the heart of Cain and what he brings. Abel's offering was offered in faith because he lavished offerings on God. Cain brought a portion. Cain brought a half-hearted offering because his faith was small. You know, Jesus brought this out with the widow of two mites. Some people think, well, it doesn't that the level of our sacrifice and giving doesn't matter to Jesus. Yes, it does. So he was watching people give in the temple. He brought the boys together. You see that little lady right there? She just gave of everything she had. I want you to know that. Why would Jesus bring that out? Because Jesus is watching our heart. He's watching our heart. How about the woman who broke the alabaster box? Broke it. That was probably mass amount of money. Forget what 300 denarii was worth in those days. I didn't study that out. But, but Jesus said... You see this one, what she's doing? Everywhere the gospel is preached, I want this act preached. You know, Jesus is about, really about how, where's our faith that we could lavish upon him our gifts, our offerings, our sacrifices, whether it's time or virtue or money, it doesn't matter, but that we do these things out of faith. The Bible goes on to say then, by faith, by faith, Enoch was, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended. He was, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, we don't know how he was committed, how he pleased God. But there was some confirmation from God that he pleased him. And there was some reputation that Enoch had that he was a man who pleased God. Now, faith seeks to please God. And that seeking of God leads to his favor. We have to get back to the understanding that our attitudes and our actions please God. We've had such an emphasis of grace, and I think there's a great emphasis of grace, but almost to the place like everything just comes from grace. It's all we, we're, I'm totally undeserving. I'm totally undeserving what he gave me. I'm totally undeserving what he's, he's doing in my life, which we, foundationally is true. But it's like there's no reward for faithfulness. That would be merit. Now there, there's a level where God gives grace to certain people. James says this. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace, therefore it says. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. God opposes, doesn't give them grace to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. He brings favor to those who have a heart for him, to depend upon him, to call upon him, lean upon him. Hearts that are bent towards him. Why did God take Enoch? There was just something in Enoch that moved God. Jesus said it this way to a whole crowd of broken people. He said, blessed, or I'm going to take the word favored, and I'm going to put that in there. Favored are the poor. Favored are the meek. Favored are the merciful. Favored are the pure in heart. Favored are the peacemakers. Your attitude counts. Your actions count. Faith moves me to seek God and to please him and to want to receive honor from him. That's what faith does. That's what Enoch did. So we go on in this great story. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that two things, he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so faith does this. Faith sees God as a rewarder of those who earnestly, not casually, seek him. If he exists, if God exists, I'd I'd be foolish not to seek him. And if I believe that he doesn't exist, I would have really no motive to seek him because what am I doing? I'm just seeking dead air. Is there such thing as dead air? I'm nothing. It's a dead concept with some oxygen out there. I'm blowing carbon dioxide. Dioxide, I'm blowing out of my mouth. There's just, there's just nothing there. But in the purpose of God, not, I'm not talking about being presumptuous here, as I'm seeking to do his will. Okay, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm believing that he exists. I'm going to go after him because he's not just existing. He's also near me. He's near you. And he's near me to intervene in my life. And he's near me to help me as I'm pursuing to do his will. I remember when we came down to Portland in 1982. I had made a decision. We're going to leave our church. I gave up my career. What little money we have, I was going to blow it all on one year of Bible college. And uh, we loaded up a little trailer. We had a Datsun 510, 71 Datsun 510, the four-door baby. And the door and the passenger side was held together, the back door and the front door, by a coat hanger. We had what we had. We were coming down here to go to Portland Bible College. And I was just going to say, you know what? What I'm doing today, that's what I'm going to do. And we're, gonna, we're just going to pull all our eggs in one basket. We're going after this thing. And I remember in the middle of that, about, I'm, I'm the pragmatist in our, in our family. Sue's the one that has the, the colorful picture and dreams. And Sue goes, you know, Bob, we don't have to rent. Someone, some, someone can give us a house to sit in for free. I said, that ain't going to happen. Hey, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. Nobody's going to do that for us. We got to go down there. We got to suck it up. And we, we got to plan. We got to count the cost. No, I think someone could give us a house to rent. I mean, just for free to house set. Oh, man. Man, you got rose colored glasses, honey. Two weeks later, a lady came up to me. You know, my husband and I were going to be out for a year working, and, and uh, we have a house right near the, the new 205 that they're going to be opening up. And, you know, you and Sue can stay there for free. You see, it's not just exists, but when you're doing his will, he's a rewarder. Favor comes upon you. It's not just I'm believing that. It's just that we're doing his will. 
And we're going after it, and we believe not only that he exists, but in the middle of his existence, he's near me, and he's a rewarder. We've got to get back to that thing, that God is a rewarder. And we get to the story of Noah on this principle. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet as yet unseen. Now, some believe that the yet unseen was rain. I kind of challenge that a little bit. I Looking at the Genesis 2 account where it said that there was no rain. It was prior to the creation of man. If we do have ocean and we do have sun, we have water cycles. Noah seemed to know what rain was. What we didn't know is that we didn't know what a global flood was. We didn't know what was going to hit the earth. He is warned of things yet unseen. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Maybe in the inland part of where he was living, there was just no body of water around. Because guy's building this big, huge boat, and it's probably the laughing stock of the neighborhood. By this, he condemned the world, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Two things here about that we see from Noah. The first is this, that faith acts on future events future events one has not seen, yet God has declared. Noah had not seen a flood that covered the earth. He had not seen that, but yet he moves in faith. I haven't seen the second coming of Jesus yet. I haven't seen it, but I stand on the reality that one day that will be a reality. I haven't seen the church cover the face of the earth as some of the prophets prophesied, but I see the beginning drippings of that, the, the beginning trickles of that. There's just things we have not seen, but yet we believe and we stand on. The second thing about Noah is this faith that Noah had caused him to inherit a position of righteousness before God. The writer of Hebrews says he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Because of his faith in the word of God, God declared he was righteousness. This is what the Bible calls faith righteousness. You are righteous right now, not because of your perfect behavior. How many people had perfect attitudes this week? Anybody want to testify? Faith righteousness is when God calls us righteous before him. He acquits us of all guilt. We stand right and perfect and complete in his presence. But faith righteousness isn't cheap. I know that sounds like you're off the hook. No, no, it leads to radical obedience. He had radical obedience because of his faith. And because of that, God declared him that he was righteous. Then we get on to a guy by the name of Abraham. A lot of you may not be exposed to the Old Testament, but you're getting a little bit of Old Testament history here. Because the writer is writing to Jews who knew their history. And out of that civilization that God was restarting again. Out of that, he called forth a man by the name of Abraham. And by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And I, I love this verse. This has been a, a very important phrase in my journey, in Sue's journey. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. And this is the principle of faith. The faith is daring, allowing God to supply the roadmap for our journey as we follow him. You know, when God called Abram out of his Ur of Chaldees, where he was an idol worshiper, where he was just sitting amongst a bunch of idol worshipers, and he said, I'm going to call this man out 
to start a new nation that would bring forth my nature and my law and my purpose and bring forth the Messiah to save the world. He just called him out of a very dark place. And what he, what he said, Abraham didn't know where he was going. All God said to him was this, I'm going to come out from among your people to the land that I will show you. I haven't shown it to you yet. You know, we want God to lay everything out for us, don't we? I want, I want th- we love, we're planners. Okay, we're, God's going to lead us to here, and God's going to lead us to here, and God's going to lead us to here, and God's going to do this. I remember when I was, before I started City Harvest Church, I, I got to listen to some presentations of young leaders who presented uh, their church plant vision to the elders of my former church at Bible Temple, and I, I was so impressed with their graphics and their 10-year plans, their five-year plans, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and I, and I watched them one by one get their rear ends kicked. All God says, I want you to have faith to go down there and watch what I do. God guides the movement, and we got to know that God's going to supply the map when we get to the destination where he wants to show us the map. It's called trust. And what's City Harvest Church going to look like in 15 years? We don't know. We, have, we see through a glass darkly. Pete and Tamar are dreaming and talking to me about their dreams. And yeah, they're hearing from God, but we see through a glass darkly. God supplies the road map. And this was such an important verse for my wife and I. When we came from a little church in Elma, Washington, I was going down to this church, probably Bible Temple at the time was 15, 1800 people, just finished a great building program, had a world-renowned Bible college. And I was going down there. I said, honey, I don't know where we're going. I just know one thing. We're supposed to go there. I gave up career, but I'm supposed to go there. We gave up all our finances because we knew we were supposed to go there. That's all we knew. We knew how to get to first base. And we knew once we got to first base, somehow God was going to show us second base. And we went out. I remember a pastor, he wanted to hire me in another church up in the Puget Sound area. He wanted me to be the youth pastor and he'd do all this stuff. And he sat me down in his car at a retreat. He was recruiting me. He says, what do you do? I said, all I know is I'm supposed to go down there. He says, you'll get swallowed up. They won't know who you are. I says, all I know, I'm drawn there drawn to what they're teaching, I'm drawn to the experiences that they're, that they're with the, the environment they've created, the healthy people they've built, and I want to learn. And I feel I'm supposed to go there. That's all I know. It's all I know. One by one, as soon as we went on that journey, threw all our eggs in a basket, burned our ships behind us, God began to reveal step at a time where he was landing us. And it determined the whole destiny of my life. Faith is daring, allowing God to supply the road map for us as we follow him. In other words, faith trusts in uncertain direction. Story goes on. By faith, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. In other words, Abraham in the book of Genesis and Isaac in the book of Genesis and Jacob in the book of Genesis and the the 12 sons, they, they didn't own any property in Canaan. They were nomads. They had nothing that they could say was their own. They had no alliances. They had a few covenants. They had no one to protect them. They were vulnerable. 
By faith, they, they, they went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, faith is this, it's willing to live vulnerably, if called, because our focus is on our eternal relationship with God. This is what, we, we don't appreciate what it meant for them to live all those years in a place that wasn't theirs. We don't appreciate the vulnerability they faced on an ongoing basis. We, did, we don't appreciate the challenges, all they, that was there, the sacrifices, all they owned was a cave to bury their dead. That's the only thing they owned. A little seed money for the future. And, and why, why could they do this? Because the Bible says they were, they were looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, they were looking for an eternal relationship with God. And that meant more to them than anything else. Some of our cross-cultural workers, that's what we call them, our cross-cultural impact workers, like the Gips and, you know, like the Guilfords and, and going on and on, the Pereiras and, and others. I mean, sometimes they've given up a lot of security and they've given up a lot of, of control over their future because they're actually looking for a city and a builder who is God, an eternal relationship with God, and just to give their life totally to their purpose. I'm not here ever to say that, uh, that someone who goes to another nation to work is more dedicated than you and I, because we all are missionaries. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Okay, but they do live it out. They do inspire us how to do it right here in Hazeldale. They do inspire us how do we do it right here in Battleground. They do inspire us to live a life that would be vulnerable because what we're looking for is not here and now. We're looking for an eternal relationship with God. Amen. By faith, Sarah, oh, Sarah herself, received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she was considered, she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead. And I'll explain this in a second. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the numerous, I mean the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Come on, faith believes the impossible when we're in a state of weakness. Now let me break this down for you when it comes to this particular story. See, God has a crazy plan. He had a crazy plan. It was going to say, listen, I want to start a nation that's going to become a great nation, that's going to carry my law, reveal my nature, be teachers of others who I'm like. I'm going to establish with them forms of worship that will be spiritually applied later on. And through them, who are going to botch it all up, I'm going to bring forth Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and I'm going to fulfill all my promises that I gave to them. And this is how I'm going to start. I'm going to start with an old man and an old woman who can't have children. I mean, her eggs are dried up. They've not been successful. There, there they are. Not a good place. She's 75, she's 65, and they've had no luck all these years. And I'm going to take them, and I'm going to let them even get even older. So it's beyond even possible. This is impossible, but like this is like off the chart impossible. And then we'll start this thing. They're going to have a son by me. It would be like me saying, this is my team that's going to win the Super Bowl. I got a quarterback 
who his right hand's on his left hand, his left hand's on his right hand. He can't even tie his shoes. That's my quarterback. My line is all under 100 pounds. They're all a bunch of cross-country runners. My wide receivers, my left one doesn't have any hands. My right one, he's about 400 pounds. and going to run about 10 yards. And with this team, I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And that's kind of how it is with God. This is my team. You wouldn't do it like that. My crazy plan. And so sometimes we, we think this scripture is that she had a lot of unbelief. And we're really hard on Sarah. Like, this is a contradiction. Sarah laughed. After I am worn out, this is Sarah's words. She said these words, after I'm worn out. I don't know what that means. Okay. Will I have pleasure? Especially when my husband's old and when the Lord told, and then when the Lord told Abraham that to Sarah, that's what she did. She laughed. He says at the same time, this, this, this time next year, she'll be having a child. And she laughs. And some people say she didn't have faith. But you know, the previous chapter in Genesis 17, when God made a declaration with Abraham and wanted to make a covenant with him by circumcision, Abraham also laughed. He said, let me get a covenant, and you're going to have a child. A great nation's going to come out of you. And, and, and Abraham laughed. And Abraham said this, <laughs> can a son be born to a man that's 100 years old? That's what God said to Abraham. That's what Abraham said to God. Can Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? I don't blame him. It's pretty, that's a pretty honest statement. You know what God did? God replied to him, no, 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 Sarah, your wife will bear you a son. You'll, you'll call him Isaac. And what we interpret that is, is that, oh, isn't God good? And you're going to name him Isaac, whose name is Laughter, because God is going to cause you to laugh <laughs> after all these hard years. No, it's a pun. And God is saying, because you laughed at me, that's what you're going to name your kid. It'll be like, Abraham, is this a joke? That's what you're going to call your kid. Is this a joke? No, it's not. It's my fulfillment of my promises in your life. This is not a joke. I'm really truthful here. It's going to happen. Put a little different spin on the story. What kind of parents would name a kid joke? Well, of course, my kids named one of my grandsons Wit. Do I understand that? But that's what, that's what God was saying. You're going to call him laughter since you laughed. You know, people go sometimes through temporary states of disbelief. Seeing their story and all that they went to, I think we could give them some slack. Because here's what the Bible does say. One, in Genesis 17, Abraham went through and he fulfilled the covenant of circumcision. It means he rallied himself back to faith. That God is somehow going to do this through Sarah and I. And the Bible says in Hebrews, Sarah herself received strength to conceive. Sarah rallied. You know, we should not judge people by a weak moment in the middle of the journey. He, Romans 4 tells us that, that what Sarah and Abraham went through was a picture of our salvation because they could not in themselves do this. Only God can do this. And we who are weak in ourselves put our faith in Christ. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. We're completely helpless to save ourselves. What a beautiful picture of people who believe that God can do the impossible when we're in a state of weakness.
So my question to you today is this. Have you, have you come to the end of yourself? Are you in a situation where you've come to the end of yourself, where, where, where you are weak, where you, you can't beat something in yourself, or you, you can't achieve something in yourself, you can't break through something in yourself. All you can say is, Lord, help me, help my unbelief. Well, this is why this is written for you. Because in their state of weakness, they had a little strength left to believe, and they did, and God fulfilled his purposes. The Bible says these all died in faith. Not having, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This, these people in the Old Testament really give us this principle that faith believes unselfishly by laying a foundation for promises to be filled in the generations to come. They didn't see the fulfillment of a nation being birth the people in back in Genesis they didn't see that they only knew the, they only died with the promises they didn't see the promised land they didn't see the exodus out of Egypt they didn't see the giving of the law they didn't see Jesus being born in his ministry and then through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed and the gospel spreading throughout the world they didn't see it they died in faith Joseph when he died in Genesis 50 he called all his brothers together. I mean, his, probably in those days it would be more of his, his nephews. He says, listen, I'm ready to die. But there is coming a day when God's going to fulfill his word to you and you guys are getting out of here. When you do, you take my bones with you. Now, that, now that, that's, that's, that's dying in faith. Okay, I'm going to be a mummy and I'll be your mummy. And when God fulfills this word, you're going to pick up my bones, my, my mummified body, and you're going to carry me into that land that God's given us. Can you imagine what that was like almost 400 years later? And the words fulfilled. Remember the man of faith, Joseph? Remember what he declared? Remember what he stood up? Remember how he died? Remember what he believed for our generation? We need to get his bones, and we need to get it back to where he said, we need to go take it because God's given us this. Okay, that's the type of faith we need to have. We don't want to build City Arbor's Church for 25 years. When I give the church to Pete, it'll be like in our 25th anniversary, but that's not the end of it. A lot of churches die in 25 years. We want to, if Jesus tarries, we want to last as long as Jesus tarries. We want to go generation to generation. Hear an amen on that. Come on. Well, this generation, this generation, this generation. We've got to die in people. We've got to be people who die in faith, I meant. For people who speak thus, Make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they, they desire a better country. They desire a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now listen, faith lives for the eternal. You know, I, I think a lot about eternity I do. I, maybe it's because I'm getting older. You start thinking about eternity. And everybody over 60 said, yes, Bob. We, 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 we do. I mean, You've got to face it. I, I, don't, I can't say, you know, Sue and I can't talk like, you know, honey, when we grow old, we are old. We can't say, you know, one day, no, we're in that day. And what's next? Heaven. 
starts to become a little bit more reality, you start burying your friends. It becomes even deeper when you start burying your family members. Ecclesiastes says the day of death is better than the day of birth. Because it teaches you to keep your eyes on eternal realities. I'd encourage all of you to read Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Did a great job of just describing heaven and, and what it was to have a new earth and what it is to have a rich human culture without sin, death, and sufferings and creativity and art and everything else. He did a fantastic job. And what that was going to look like, we, we, tend to, we tend to, as Christians, do this. We, we want heaven on earth so completely that we don't think about heaven where we're going. And because we, we want to make earth heaven, sometimes we, 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 we don't know how to handle contradictions. And we don't know how to handle the, the reality that we live in a present evil age. And we don't handle it well. And, and I'm not trying to be so heavenly minded that we're not earthly good, but I mean, sometimes heaven sounds good. Sometimes, I mean, I want to live a full life and grow old and wrinkled and teeth fall out and the whole thing. I want that. Sometimes I, I think, man, I'm just tired and I would I'd like to have my head on just Jesus' breast and just, just for him to say, I love you and welcome home. William Branham, before he started his healing ministry, way back in the, I think it was the 30s, early 40s, his, there was a great flood by the Ohio River and his wife somehow got caught in that and she got pneumonia and she was dying. He was, she was in a Red Cross tent and he came to her and he was praying for God to save her and she stopped him. And she said, Billy, don't. She says, I've seen heaven. And it's just like you preached it. Kiss me and say goodbye. Sometimes as believers, we got to look at things of the city that God built and God himself is the foundation and that we have an eternal relationship with him. We live life to the fullest. We do his will. As Paul said, you know, I want to be with him, but for your sake, I'm here. Okay, we're doing the will of God, and we love our family, and we love life, and we do life, but not lose our eternal perspective and try to make heaven earth. There is an eternal home. I'm going to speed up one last thing, and then we're going to close here. You can read the rest of my book. I want to talk about the children of Israel. That was a good thought. Great thought. Great thought. Great thought. Even better thought. Talk about the nation of Israel. Rehearsing the whole scene of the Exodus, it says this, By faith the, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for many days. Now, why would you want to end with that? Because I want to talk about us for a second. Faith has a corporate expression that brings the special favor 
of God on that corporate act. They, the people, crossed the Red Sea. The people circled the city in faith. What are, what are we as a church believing for? What are we together contending for? And using Mark, uh, is it Batterson? Batterson, Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, what are we together circling? I'd like to suggest five things we would get in our spirit. And I'd like the team to come on up here right now, Casey, okay, so and bring the team up. Some things I would like us to contend for. One, that there would be a, a supernatural openness to the gospel. What I mean, what are, you, what are you talking about? I'm meaning not that, hey, we shared our faith and we had great experiences, but nothing happened. We shared our faith, we had great experiences, and nothing happened. I'm talking about the neighbor coming over and the neighbor saying, you know what, I, I, I want to know how to have a relationship with God. I've had those experiences. Two neighbors have been labeled to lead to Jesus with just that happening. One guy came over to me one day, what's this evangelism thing you do? Well, come over to my house tonight and I'll tell you. Shared the gospel, gave his life to Christ, and he never turned back. He just went after it. Another guy became one of the biggest givers in this church's history. He only lived two or three years, but he found Jesus and became a generous man. I'm talking about people just being open to the gospel. Well, we need God just to open people's eyes. We don't need to be obnoxious, just opening their hearts, open their eyes. Second thing, that there'll be a revival of people seeking to be used above God. Remember that? Where I used to say, God, use me! Use me! Use me to pray with people. Use me to encourage people. Use me to love people. Use me to serve people. Come on, use me. We got enough carnage outside these doors to keep us all busy. Well, Bob needs to invite me to do this. No, just go do it. The God that you would use me. And the God I'm offering myself to you. The third thing is this, is that there would be a revival of love. I don't care if you don't like their religion. I don't care if you don't like their politics. I don't care if you like their philosophy or whatever their lifestyle is. I don't care that we would just become radical in love. Read, read the book Love Does. Just go love. Well, that means I'm endorsing what they're doing. No, it doesn't mean. It means that you love them like God loves you. You think God endorses everything you're doing? Sometimes we think that. God endorses everything I'm doing. That's why he keeps convicting me. Because he doesn't endorse everything I'm doing. Bob, yeah, don't do that anymore. But that's what I do. I don't want you to do it anymore. And so if God loves me, I can love them. I got in real trouble with somebody this week because I love somebody that they don't love and they came after me. We're here to love. One thing I'm impressed with my son-in-law, what he built down in L.A., is they love the streets of L.A. They love the rich of L.A. They love the poor of L.A. They love everybody in L.A. They just love them. And people are coming because they're feeling they were loved. They've done a great job. They have exemplified the love of God. Just start loving. Just love well. Go after it. Throw away things that irritate you. Doesn't matter. Come on, grace will cover it. 
God will work in their heart. He's more concerned about their salvation. Let's love well. Let's have a revival of love. The fourth thing is this, that there would be ah, A-W-E, ah stories. Ah stories of God's intervention at CHC. Ma'am Shaman, how did that happen? How did that happen? You know, a healing isn't, oh yeah, I kind of, yeah, kind of feeling better. Yeah, it's kind of moving a little bit better. No, a healing is, I can't believe this. I remember Tracy Robinson, word of knowledge by Pastor Dave Schaap, there's someone with a femur, he named it, a right femur. And you have a growth on your femur. And you're in great pain. Now that's a specific word of knowledge. She raised her hand, we prayed. She ran to the bathroom. She threw her clothes off in the women's bathroom and it was gone. And she came running out in tears and she went home and went down her kid's slide and she just, she just was overwhelmed. I can't believe that God loved me like that. Come on, we want the awe. I mean, if we don't pay a mortgage... Today, they're going to evict us, and all of a sudden, a phone call comes and a new contract and a back payment comes back to you, and an invoice was never paid. And all of a sudden, we can pay that and fill our house with groceries, and we're on our road to cover. We got a, a God awe moment. What's wrong with that? And the fifth thing that we, we would see physical suffering healed by the power of God. I mean, we've, we just, life is, life just has a lot of stink in it. We've got some people fighting for some real healings in our church. They're in a lot of pain. You can't measure, you know, what's greater, level 10, level 8. They're just in pain. Come on, Jesus had compassion upon people. You see that physical suffering go away. It's going to come by the power of God. They... By faith, passed through the Red Sea. They, by faith, circled the walls of Jericho. We, by faith, can contend. And we, by faith, can experience. Yeah, we'll get knocked off our horse. We want it easy and clean. The book of Hebrews said, you know, they, they conquered, they, they, they stopped the mouth of lions, and they, they quenched fire, and, they, and, they, and they, 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 they faced the sword, and they, they won battles. Come on, we got to cross some red seas. We got to stop some mouths of lions. We got to come against the sword. Come on, and all these things were more than conquerors. I got to hear Lou Gigolo on Friday night. Sue and I did. One of, one of the most fascinating sermons I've ever heard preached. He talked about how he prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. And he sat a table with food. He ate during his whole sermon and brought all these analogies together. But one of the great points is that we want God to defeat our enemies. And as the analogy he used, we want to look out the window out in the yard as he's just beating them all up. That's good. But he says, no, 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 you're going to, I'm going to be with you as you having to face your enemies. That means life is tough. That means we have to have some, a mountain, we have to move it. When I see, we have to cross it. A lion, we have to stop its mouth. And when all these things were conquerors, we got to go through the things. In the middle of these things, he's prepared a table for us. Church, let's believe. Let's believe. I didn't do the best on this sermon, but I don't care. If I get some faith in you. I get some faith in you. That's what matters to me right now. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to pray together.
we're going to intercede for a few moments together as a church.